take your Bibles and turn to Galatians. Glad to say we're, we're glad to have Dolores here with us tonight. Then if you join me in a word of prayer. Amen. I've been doing a series on the uh, attributes of God, and I was going to kind of follow through with that, but since the, both Sunday school classes are doing things related to systematic theology, I thought we would go back to a book study, and I thought of the book of Galatians. Um, so we're going to be looking at the book of Galatians, um, which is Paul's charter of Christian freedom. That as believers in Christ, we have received this salvation, and it has come to us freely, and it's by the work of Christ. In the year 1215 A.D., King John of England, with some strong encouragement from his feudal barons, signed and affixed his seal to what was called the Magna Carta. It's a Latin word that means a great paper, magna, a great paper, a great charter. Um, In other words, these are extremely important and weighty things that are recorded in this Magna Carta. Carta. Um, This charter listed and secured certain freedoms and rights for its citizens. It limited the power of the king and protected the rights and the privileges of citizens. It made not only King John, but all successors to him, the heirs to the throne, subject to this law. They were bound by it. They could not go uh, against these rights and these privileges that were established. So it established a foundation for the freedom of the individual against the authority of a possible despot king. He could no longer arbitrarily do as he would with his citizens. So there is this check and balance. And we know with human leaders, that's what we need, isn't it? Checks and balances. Not with King Jesus, though. No checks and balances needed with him. He is the righteous king. Um, So it established this freedom. The encyclopedia says the Magna Carta was the most significant early influence on the long historical process that led to the rule of constitutional law today. It is considered one of the most important legal documents in the history of democracy. It influenced the writings of, guess what, our U.S. Constitution and our Bill of Rights. As we come to the book of Galatians, as we study this book, it is what we could call the mega, mega carta of Christian freedom. Here is this weighty, weighty document related to the gospel and the freedom that is found in the gospel. So it sets forth this great charter of freedom for which, as Christians, uh, is ours in the gospel. It's the declaration that salvation is by the free grace of God. It's not merited. It's not earned by our own rigorous efforts to try to keep the law of God or the ability to meet some criteria or standard to stand accepted before God. Years ago, when we would take the kids to Kings Island, um, there would be these signs for these rides. 
you have to be as tall as Scooby Dooby Doo or whoever it might have been um, to ride this ride. This is the criteria for you to get on this ride. You have to be a certain height. And um, as we think about the gospel, there is not some standard that we ourselves must meet to be accepted by God. Um, If that is the case, it would lead us not to freedom, but really to fear, to bondage, to anxiousness. But here we find that based upon the work of Christ, what we see in Galatians, that the righteousness that we need, the, the merit to be accepted before God is not our own, but it is found in Christ and what he has done for us through his death through his resurrection, through his ministry. So there is this freedom that the believer is able to enjoy and savor because it's all in Christ and who he is for us. So the theme of Galatians is the charter of Christian freedom. Uh, But freedom will be jeopardized if the gospel is distorted. If it is twisted, and that's what we find taking place here in the book of Galatians. And so Paul is going to affirm the gospel, and he's going to call the believers when we get to chapter 5, verse 1, stand fast. Stand fast in this freedom that Christ has won for us. When we think of Reformation, uh, the Reformation, it was in October of 31st of 1517, when Martin Luther posted his 95 Theses at the door of the Church of Wittenberg. Interestingly enough, years ago when I was reading my mom and dad, they had traced their genealogy. My mom's name was Weissenbarger, good German name, and I mean her maiden name was. And uh, she, she traced her family roots back to Wittenberg, Germany, which I thought was kind of neat. But it was there that Martin Luther posted those theses on the door at the church of Wittenberg. And this really set in motion what came to be known as the Protestant Reformation. And at the heart of it was the issue of the gospel. How it is that guilty sinners are made right in the eyes of a holy God. Is it by their own works, their own labors, or is it a cooperation? cooperative act between God and men. God does his part. We do our part. We kind of meet in the middle, 50-50. Or is it Jesus Christ and grace alone? And is it by the work of Christ alone, received by the sinner by faith alone, and all of that to the glory of God alone? Well, that's what came out of the Reformation, wasn't it? That's why we got the banners on the back of our church. They speak about these great truths. And so this is what's at heart here as we think of the book of Galatians. We want to begin by looking just to identify uh, where this letter is going. Uh, The identity of these churches of Galatia. Uh, Galatia is a Roman province that if you were in Israel and you went north and made a left-hand turn, you'd end up in Asia Minor, what is known today as Turkey. Um, It's there in the central part of uh, that area where the province of of Galatia uh, was located. 
It was here that Paul went on his first missionary journey. He had gone from Antioch in Syria to the island of Cyprus. Then he went north and went up into Asia Minor, and he went to uh, this area of Galatia. Some of the churches there um, were... uh, uh, Getting with the Iconium and Lystra. These are some of the cities that were there where Paul went and established churches. So it was on his first missionary journey that he went there. The people of Galatia get their name from a people group, an ethnic group uh, of people, uh, the people of Gaul. They were a region that was west of Italy, and there was a segment of these people that had come and established and before the Roman Empire was established, they lived there in this area of Galatia. And it originally was called the Galatians. And uh, it was made to be a Roman province. And then it was not just the ethnic people of the Gauls, but it was everyone that was living in that area were referred to uh, in this area as the Galatians. And so here's Paul. And he's, this is probably the first epistle that Paul wrote. And it was written about 49 A.D. Um, Paul makes no mention in this book of the Jerusalem Council. The Jerusalem Council is where they met the early church leaders to deal with this whole issue of the law and circumcision and the gospel. And there were these Judaizers that we see in the book of Galatians that were telling people, the Gentiles, you needed to be circumcised. You needed to keep the law. If It's okay you believe in Jesus, but you need to keep the law as well. So it's Jesus and. Jesus and your circumcision. Jesus and keeping holy days. Um, and so the first Jerusalem council was dealing with this thing. Do the Gentiles need to be circumcised? Do they need to keep the law of Moses? That was the issue in Acts 15. However... Paul does not make any mention of that, so we're led to believe that this was prior to that great council that met at Jerusalem. And um, so it was uh, about 49 or 50 um, A.D. As we look at this message of Paul, we see that Paul's, um, excuse me, we see that Paul's authority and his message Uh, was being undermined. We see that Paul is, from the get-go here, he is very concerned about what has been going on in these churches since that he had preached there. Um, And so we see in verse uh, 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Paul's authority was being questioned by these false teachers that had come into the church after Paul had left. Um, and they had come and they had begun preaching what he refers to as another gospel. And they were, they were questioning Paul's authority. Who does he think he was? He was not one of the original disciples of Jesus. And so they're undermining him. And the issue that was threatening this church, again, was this issue of the gospel. And Paul is greatly astonished that they are so soon turning away from what he had preached to them. 
And notice in verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who has called you in the grace of Christ. Notice this, to a different gospel. There are two Greek adjectives for the word different. And there is a word, alos, that means different or a difference of kind, um, a, a, um, another of the same sort, I should say. Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He will be another comforter. That's the word there, another comforter. Another of the same kind. What I have been to you, he will be as well. That's not the word that is used here. It is the word heteros, which means a uh, another of a different kind. Another of a different kind. And this is the word that is used here. Sometimes we use the word heterodoxy. It's the opposite of orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is what is true. Heterodoxy is something that is different. It's contrary to that which is orthodox. Well, here were these people that were coming in, and Paul has gotten word of this. And they're referred to, they are these Judaizers. Um, and they have come in, and they're trying to yoke these Gentile believers to keeping the law. It's okay that you believed in Jesus. That's good. That's right. But you also now have to, to be circumcised for the males. You, you have to keep holy days. You have to eat kosher food. So if you really want to be a part of the true people of God, they added the law to the gospel. You're not really truly a, uh, a Christian unless you... Uh, do these things. And so here is this gospel that has been perverted. And Paul is very much up in arms. And he's very strong in his language. If you preach this gospel that is contrary to what I have preached to you, let such a person be accursed. Let him be anathema. But these false teachers were undermining Paul, his authority, as well as his message. He was an apostle. He's not, he, he was a Johnny-come-lately. He was one who was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. He was not one who personally walked with Christ during his time upon the earth. But these Judaizers were undermining him and his apostolic authority, and along with that, his message. So they were distorting the gospel. At the same time, they were undermining uh, Paul's authority. Um, And so they're saying, we're going to give you the rest of the story, really what you need to do in regards to keeping the law. So here's the greetings that is given by Paul here in verses 1 to 5. And what we find Paul doing is going to establish his authority and his message. He's going to affirm those things. And so he begins, I am an apostle. I am not for men, nor through men. I didn't receive this through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. My authority comes directly from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Um, 
Paul begins his epistle a little different than he does other epistles. Um, Here he elaborates a little more about his apostolic authority because it was being questioned. He's not defensive here. He's not got a bruised ego. Um, His being attacked by these opponents was to advance a theological error, and that's what Paul's concerned about. So they're devaluating Paul, disparaging him as well as his message. He's not truly an apostle, someone that you should listen to. So what was at stake was not simply his reputation, but the message of the gospel that he had preached that had been given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's defending his apostleship for the purpose of defending the gospel because these two go together. Um, J.B. Lightfoot said the two threads running through this epistle, the defense of the apostles' own authority and the maintenance of the doctrine of grace are knotted together in the opening salutation. So these go together. Paul's authority and Paul's message. He says that he is an apostle. Now this is used primarily in the New Testament as a technical term for one that was specifically called by Christ to be his representative. The word apostle has the idea of one who is sent, one who is like an ambassador, one who comes with a message. Um, And it could be used that there is a word for, you know, being a messenger. Paul sent Epaphroditus. He was a messenger. But apostle is used in a technical way in the New Testament to speak about those that Christ himself had called and ordained to be his personal representatives, to speak for him. So it has a technical meaning. So it's one that was personally called by Christ. They had to be one who was a witness to the resurrection of Christ. They had to have seen the resurrected Christ. You remember in Acts 1 when they're looking to replace Judas to be an apostle. One of the requirements that is given there is that they had to be a witness, an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. Now what about Paul? Paul was one who had seen the resurrected Christ, hadn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ had appeared to him. The Lord Jesus Christ had called him personally. He was taught of the Lord Jesus Christ for three years in Arabia. um, He went to seminary and was taught and instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ. He also was one who did what all the apostles did. They had gifts that were given to them that authenticated their message. Turn back a few pages just to 2 Corinthians 12. Just back one page in my Bible. And verse 12. And Paul, doing the same thing to to the people of Corinth, establishing his apostolic authority, he says there that truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Mighty deeds. And no doubt this was true of Paul. He bore witness to the fact that he was sent by Christ 
And Christ put his stamp, if you will, upon him, enabling him by the Spirit to do supernatural things. He healed um, various people, uh, did a number of things. And this was a way of confirming that he was an apostle. And he said, these signs everyone was a witness to, and they bore witness to this. And so he was truly an apostle sent by the Lord Jesus Christ and a witness to the resurrected Christ and one who had been commissioned by him. Now, in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews tells us that in these last days, God has spoken to us in his son. He has spoken to us in his son. But as you look through your Bible, you don't have any books in there that are written by Jesus, do you? We have no writings that have been given to us by Jesus. What we have is his apostles, his representatives, those who spoke for Christ. And they had the very authority of Christ in their message, in their words. And so even though we, have, we don't have the book of Jesus sayings of Jesus collected for us, we do have the apostles who've recorded his sayings, who've recorded the message of Christ and the message of the gospel. Those things have been given to us through the apostles. So this morning, as we partook of the Lord's Supper, we, as we often do, read in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul says this, for I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. I received this from the Lord, and I have given this to you. It's not my word. I'm the vehicle through which it comes, the channel through which it comes, but it is the word of the Lord. I speak with the authority of Christ. And this was picked up by the people, wasn't it? In writing to the Thessalonian believers, Paul was able to say there, I thank God that when you received the word from us, you did not receive it as the word of men, but what it truly is, the word of God, the word of God. And so here we have these epistles written to us, and they have come to us through this apostolic group of men ordained by Christ to be his representatives, to speak for him and to give us the gospel. In John 17, where Jesus is praying that high priestly prayer, he says to his apostles, I'm not just praying for you, but I'm also praying for those who will believe in me through your word. And that's how we've come to know the gospel, isn't it? It has been passed down to us by the apostles through the written word and it has come to us and we have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this has been delivered unto us, Jude says, once for all. There is no ongoing apostolic ministry that ended with the apostles. They established the foundation of the church. We have the word of God uh, that has been given to us. But Paul is... He's affirming that he was one called by Jesus Christ. And further, he goes on to say, it wasn't through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with 
me to the churches of Galatia. So there are these others that are, along with Paul, sending this letter. It's coming to the Galatian believers um, to speak to them. Then he gives his usual greeting after underscoring his authority. He says, grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. These are similar words that we find in his other epistles. This isn't just a common greeting. These are a greeting that have truth to them, grace to you, and peace that comes from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Paul sees the gospel, the work of Christ, as a rescue mission. Jesus Christ has come, and he's come to deliver us, to rescue us. It's not a joint effort. He's the rescuer. We're the rescued. We were in no position to, in any way, help with our rescue. He has come to do it all and to rescue us from this and deliver us from this present evil age. So he has done this. It is all of him. And, of course, the book is going to bear that out as we go further, that this rescue is through the death of Christ and the cross of Christ. It's by his work alone. There's nothing that we bring to the table except our sin that makes this work of Christ necessary. Martin Luther said this. He said, I was a good monk. He had gone away from the world to get away from the world and go to a monastery to seek to try to be holy. And he said, I was a good monk, and I kept my order so strictly that I could claim that if ever a monk were able to reach heaven by monkish discipline, I should have found my way there. All my fellows in the house who knew me would bear me out in this. For if it had continued much longer, I would have, with my vigils, prayers, readings, and other such works, have done myself to death. Yet as hard as he worked, his conscience was still troubled. He said, I could go away from the world, but I could not get the world out of me. And he was continually confessing his sins to his superiors. And he says, when you really got something to repent of, come to me. He was troubled by so many things, but he could never find rest for his soul. And he once said, if I flog myself 49 times, what if God requires 50? So there was no peace. There was no freedom. And he realized that sin wasn't just out there. It was in him. And he could not save himself. And it's as he came to understand the just shall live by faith that he said it was as if the door of paradise had been opened up to him. What a glorious day that that was for him. And so the theme of Galatians, the theme of the gospel is that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone and his work and his merits It's not what my hands have done that can save my guilty soul. Not all my toiling, all my prayers, tears. Those can never make me whole. 
what there is in Christ, the sufficient work to save us from our sins. And so Paul is animated because this gospel is under attack and he's animated and he is vigilant to stand firm that justification comes by faith alone apart from any works of the, Lord, uh, of the law. So for Paul, this is a big deal. This is a very big deal because the gospel is at stake. And so he stands for this work of Christ, that it is Christ who delivers us. But he's also concerned about the glory of God. Notice in verse 5, Christ has come to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God and the Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. When we understand this fact that justification is by grace alone through the work of Christ alone, it's not anything that we, we have done. We have to conclude, don't we, that all glory, all praise and honor must go to God alone. And Paul is, again, very careful to make that clear. Um, let me quote again in closing Martin Luther. He said, If I did not know whether God does everything in the matter of salvation, I shall ultimately not know how to pray, how to worship, how to work, or to do anything. For I, never, for I shall never know how much to attribute to God and to myself. But when we understand, no, it is all of grace, all the work of Christ, and therefore to God alone must be all the glory. So as we go through the book of Galatians, we see this great Magna Carta of our Christian freedom. And in chapter 5, Paul says this, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. There is freedom that is found in Christ. And we stand firm in that. And I hope tonight that's where you are standing, firmly rooted in Christ. Your hope, trust, confidence is in Him and in Him alone. For by grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it's a what? Gift of God, not of works, lest any man, lest any man should boast. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Father, tonight we come to you again in the name of Jesus, our Savior. We come with thankful hearts. We thank you for the freedom that the gospel brings to us. There's no fear of death, no fear of judgment. And it's not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. May we stand firm. May we stand firm in this freedom, in this liberty that Christ has won for us. Lord, if there's one here tonight that is not a follower of Christ, it's our prayer that they would come to an end of themselves to recognize there's nothing that they can do to earn your favor, to earn salvation. It is found only in Christ and His all-sufficient work. 
may they look to him and live. Lord, if we be in Christ, help us that we may stand, that we would know the freedom, the liberty that is ours in Jesus Christ. And what a place of peace and rest that is for our souls. We thank you that our sins, not in part, have been nailed to the cross, and we bear them no more. Praise the Lord. Go with us as we go into this week. Lord, may we seek to honor you and love you in all that we do and say. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Lord, bless all of you. Have a good week. You are dismissed.